I had a few. I took a funeral on uh, Friday, and I didn't know the person. I was an older gentleman, and um, I talked about truth. Who is truth? And I said, you know, Jesus made some pretty bold and audacious statements about himself, didn't he? Can we just turn the house lights up just a little bit? That's cool, awesome, thank you. He made these massive statements about himself. Tom Cruise said, I want the truth. To which Jack Nicholson replied, but you can't handle the truth. Pilate said, what is truth? And that was the question I asked the people who were at this man's funeral. I said, what is truth? I said, you know, we live in a world today where there is no truth. There's no absolute truth. Truth is what you want it to be. You make up what truth is for you and I'll make up what truth is for me. And we'll all live happily ever after. How many people know that is impossible? to live happily ever after when everybody is making up their own truth. And we say this, what's good for you is good for me. As long as we don't hurt anybody, we're all okay. How many people know that is a reality no one can live out? You only have to look around the world today to see hurt from that reality, that mindset, because we say there is no such thing as truth, I create my truth, you create your truth. But Jesus said, I am the truth. So there's a little bit of a problem here. Because he's saying he is it, but we say there's no such thing of it. Or absolute, or we want to create it. It's an interesting picture, isn't it? And so I was sharing this with these people, and it got me thinking, because the Bible says to know the truth will set you free. And as God's people, we're on a journey to know the truth, aren't we? No? I hope so. To know truth, to know Christ, to know the Spirit, to know God, to know this thing of absolute truth, because the more truth we know, it will set us free. And I was sharing this with the people, free from what? Free from everything that wants to bind and hold you and I back. So I challenged the people, I said, are you living your truth out? And are you still bound up in anxiety? What about worry? What about stress? What about finances? What about depression? What about sickness? How free are we believing our version of truth? Because truth sets you free. No, the truth, the Christ, sets people free, doesn't he? So on revelation of truth, guess what you're going to see? A person who is coming into more and more and more and more and more freedom and more of the life of Christ in them. Does that make sense? Is that logical? Because it's untapped. There is no limit to life in Christ. And we have to contend with this as His people. And we have been contending with it for three and a half, four, five years as a community. You see, we can't be defined through the task. We try to. We define our Christianity through the tasks that we do for Him. And when the tasks get removed, what have we got? See, if we remove all the tasks and they're all gone, who have we got? It's quite a scary thought. If you didn't do anything else for Him, would you still know Him? Would you be comfortable in that place of just being in His presence? 
and knowing Him because you know Him, because you know Him, because you know Him, because your tasks aren't defined or they're not done because you feel you have to, but the tasks, all they are, are outcomes of knowing Him intimately. But if we were to take literally, there's no more playing music, there's no more being on the door, there's no more preaching, there's no more working in the cafe, there's no more sharing the gospel in your workplaces, there's no more of the doing element of following Jesus, would you be all okay with that and still have the fire and the power and the life of Christ in us? Because we are called to. Why? Because we know truth. See, the reality of truth will transform every part of you and I. And we're going to look at more of this today. And I started last week by saying that Jesus builds his ecclesia, his people, his church on the revealed truth, the Son in the church. Here. In the heart. In the spirit. And we're looking as we go forward at the core essentials, the core pillars that Jesus Christ builds his people on. Not what man builds it on, but what Jesus actually builds it on. And what we as people here, as an eldership and as a, as a staff and, and just us as a community, a heartbeat here is to know Him. And my heart is that you would find rest here from all the activity and all the stuff that we're supposed to do and just find Him. Just find Him. And then from that position, when He leads it, start doing some things for Him. Is that cool? Just to know Him. That's all I want to do. It's just to know Him. But what about this and what about that? What about it? What about it? I know if I get to know Him in a way for who He truly is, then all those things will just be part of my lifestyle. Here's a question. Does a cow go to training school to learn how to chew grass? No. It doesn't. Why? Because it knows it's a cow. And because it knows it's a cow, it's wired to do what cows do. But it doesn't have to go to school to figure that out because it's innately in the cow. It amazes me when I watch my children and Danielle nursing my children, how we went to school to learn how to breastfeed. Danny and, oh sorry, Danny, Lily and Maddie knew how to do it. Isn't that funny? They didn't have to go to school to learn how to breastfeed. We did. They knew instinctively and innately how this thing worked. Why? Because they're wired and designed. And this is what knowing Him, being birthed into spirit and truth, will do for you and I. The more we know Him, the knowledge of Him, the true knowledge of who He actually is, baptized into us, out comes natural DNA of flowing how to be a follower without going to the school of learning how to be a follower. I hope you can hear what I'm saying because this is so authentic and true and it will set us all free on a pathway where a whole of the questions we ask, we never get answered. But in the discovery of Him, the, answer, the questions get answered. And you just find yourself flowing in a lifestyle. So I will build my church, he said. And last week, very quick, we just looked at who is the builder? Christ. Who is being built? 
we are. Let's not get that round the wrong way. Okay? He's the builder, we are being built. We cannot build one another. He builds us. And we said that being transformed into his image is the high purpose for the church. The high goal to know him, the power of his resurrection, to have fellowship with his sufferings, to be transformed into the image of him. The bridal process to be made ready. I sent out a text to that staff and the elders this week because God spoke to me just about being ready. How ready are we? How ready are you? Are we living a life of readiness? Not because he's coming back, because that's what we're called to be and accomplish, to be ready. Be ready in and out of season. Be ready to give an answer for the hope you have. Be ready. And as you just follow that passage down, you come across these ten virgins and five were ready and five weren't. Five were ready to enter into, enter into, sorry, the chamber, the bridal chamber, and five weren't. And the Bible describes these virgins, these ten virgins, as wise and foolish. The foolish ones never entered into, but the wise ones did. I'm going to build my people. I'm building them. I have been building them. I will continue to build them. And I build them on the revelation of my Son and that is within them firstly. That's one of the core. Next week we're going to talk about the baptism in the Spirit. But we looked at Galatians 1, 15-16 and we looked at Matthew 16-18 to and just turn with me to Matthew 11, 25, 25 to 27. Matthew 11, 25 to 27. If you weren't with us last week, I'd really encourage you to go and read those scriptures because it's building upon building upon building. Matthew 11, 25. 27, at that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. What things? All the things before what he's talking about. So he's hidden these things from the so-called wise and intelligent of the world. And I've, that word again, revealed them. Everyone say revealed. I have unraveled them. I have unveiled them. I have pulled them back. I have shown these things that I've talking about, not to the people that think they're wise and intelligent, but to little children. If you want to enter into the kingdom, you have to come like a child. Oh, that's a bit of a challenge. When I've built myself up as an adult on a whole lot of stuff, now you expect me to go back to being five? In your faith I do. In your belief in me I do. In your heart I do. Because when you look at a little kid, they accept the things that the parent says that are true. And they don't even question them. Why? Because they know the father or the parent and they trust the parent. And so they say yes and amen and enter into the reality of what the parent was saying. Not rocket science, very simple logic. And we, as a parent, all know what I'm talking about. So he's saying you've got to come like a child. And I reveal these things to children. A simple, humble, faithful heart. Then he says this, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son will, will, sorry, to, what again? Reveal Him. So the Father's going to reveal the Son, the Son's going to reveal the Father. That's a bit confusing. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the Father. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. We are one. So the Son knows the Father, and the Father knows the Son, and to whom... 
the Son wills to reveal the Father. See, just on a slightly different issue, when you read that lovely scripture, come to me, all who are weary, look where it's positioned now after having this understanding of this revealed position of Christ. Now come to me. Now give me everything. And through this, you know what? As you do this, you're going to get a greater revelation of who I even am. When we start putting Scripture in context of what's before it, what's after it, the whole picture starts to enlarge. But I don't know about you, I'm challenged by this Scripture. To whom the Son chooses, wills to reveal Him. So for me to know the Father, I have to have a revealed position. I can't just figure it out on my own. Correct. I need your help, Lord. Correct. Oh. So that positions me in a place of humility and dependability and I've got to acknowledge that I can't actually know anything unless you actually reveal it. Where? In me? Yep. Oh. It changes the game around a little bit. Why? Because the truth will set you free. The truth will birth your life. The truth will alter you. The truth will transform you. You'll look different. You'll act different. You'll speak different. You'll hear differently. The more truth you know, guess who you're going to look like and resemble? Him. Once again, that's the goal. Transformation into the image of the one we follow. It's the bride of preparation. Why? Because there's a wedding invitation that went out the day you received him. And our whole journey now is to be prepared for that wedding day plus the reigning with him. Built on what? On the revelation of himself. Saying the same thing I said probably last week, going to continue to say it. Look, boom, penny drops big time and all of a sudden, boom. And we will seek and continue to seek and press in and pursue. Let me read this to you. For you and I to be built the way God intends, the truth must be revealed in us. In us. This transaction of the Spirit brings us into a true knowledge of Him, which causes us to be wholeheartedly devoted to Him. You want to know why we're not devoted to Him? It's because we don't know Him well enough. When we know Him more, guess what the natural outflow is? Love and devotion. Why? Because He's so good. If you taste and see how good I am, there's a transaction that will naturally flow. Why? Not not because you're trying to figure it out, because you've tasted something of the Spirit, of the life, and it's incredible, and it creates love and passion and motivation and desire and a willingness to lay one's life down. Without it, good luck. Without it, you won't end up anywhere near it. Hence, the baptism of the Spirit that we're going to look at. Please start praying. Please start fasting now for it. We're going to lay hands on and believe that there will be a greater release. Come, boom, in power. That The same power that raised him up. I can tell you today, it's in me. I know it. I feel it. It's made a difference. Anyone want that? Five people, great. It's the thing we need if we're going to live the life. Why do you think it's so hard? It's not hard when what He promises is in us. It's not hard. What's hard is trying to do it without it. That's what's hard. It's impossible. That's why He says, with man it's impossible. With God all things are possible. But there is a reality to be discovered. An actual realness. This revealing, thank you, of the Son, this revealing of the Son, truth in us by the power of the Holy Spirit literally brings us into a measure of knowing God for who He actually is, which creates an overwhelming love and passion in our hearts for Him and His ways which is outworked through the demonstration of our lives in a real and tangible way for all to see. So what does a person's life look like when they are devoted and in love 
with their deity. So my main point, Jesus builds one of the core essential values on the revelation of his son, Paul said, in me. When that happened, my whole life changed to a measure. It's when it flipped me from being a Pharisee killing the church to being a lover of the church and being killed by the Pharisees. Okay? This knowing of God. What does it look like to know a God so intimately? What does that look like? And once again, I want you to roll with me for what you're about to watch. I want to put all our religiousness to the side. And I'm going to show you, we're going to watch a group of people who are so in love with their deity that it causes certain types of behaviours and actions and outcomes in their lives. Okay? So I wanted to get all hung up and start going, oh yeah, but look what they're worshipping. Look at it. Because I'm challenged when I watch this. Because it's authentic worship. It is absolutely 100% authentic worship to what this talks about. Only problem is, it's an idol that they worship. But that does not determine whether their worship was authentic or not. Can you hear what I'm saying? has nothing to do with whether that's authentic or not. They're just worshipping the wrong thing. Paul was so on fire just for the wrong thing. That's why God used him. He said, man, at the right time, I'm going to take that man, I'm just going to switch him, and now look, all that which has been authentic is now for me. Yeah. He's going to seriously kick some butt. Woo, look at him go now. Okay, So we're going to look through the idol of football. Through the idol of Liverpool Football Club. I want you to, if you've got pen and paper, phones, I want you to listen and I want you to write down some of the things you're about to hear. You're going to be amazed at the language. You're going to be amazed at what you see. I believe Scripture is going to come to mind where you're going to see one love, one spirit, one purpose, one intent. You're going to have Scriptures that go around your head. You're going to see things like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Oh my goodness, look at the commitment. Count the cost. This is what happened to me when I started watching this. A barrage of Scriptures started coming. Bang, 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 bang. Let's roll the clip. Liverpool is a religion, and Anfield is our place of worship. We've won, you know, 18 league titles, we've won five European Cups, we've won seven FA Cups, we've won two UEFA Cups. We've got thousands of flags, we've got all these songs. We're proud, proud people. We love our football team, we love our football club. We love, we've got a strong identity. Every place of worship, you need faith. You know, faith can move mountains. Gladiators enter the arena, the field of praise. Saturday's weather perfect for an historic Scouse occasion. fans, over 3,000 of them, are making the 300-mile round trip from the Midlands to the South Coast for a football match which will have little or no impact on the fortune of their team. West Brom sit comfortably mid-table with no chance of qualifying for Europe and safe from dreaded relegation. Yet still they come, giving up their Saturdays and spending thousands of pounds over a season. The sermon's on the pitch, uh, you know, the vicar's our, our manager. And, uh, you know, the, the, the fans are the choir. They just sing the songs and they make them up and, 
You know, and they are, to be fair, very him-like, aren't they? But they don't behave like any other football crowd, especially not at one end of Anfield ground on the cock. The music the crowd sings is the music that Liverpool has sent echoing around the world. studying this cop crowd would be introduced into as rich and mystifying a popular culture as in any South Sea island. Their rhythmic swaying is an elaborate and organized ritual. The 28,000 people on the cop itself begin singing together. They seem to know intuitively when to begin. Throughout the match, they invent new words, usually within the framework of old Liverpool songs, to express adulatory, cruel or bawdy comments about the players or the police. But even then, they begin singing these new words with one immediate huge voice. They seem, mysteriously, to be in touch with one another, with Wacker, the spirit of Scouts. For a lot of people, it is, it is like a religion. Yeah, because, um, you know, it's, it's, what they, it's what they live for, most people. loyalty you don't change teams and anyone who does change teams is can only be held in contempt and devotion fidelity and loyalty that's what it's all about so in that sense it is a religion put that on my heart to show because I've literally been caught up in that 
I've been to those games and it is so intoxicating. And you get caught up in worshipping this God, this Liverpool football club, this game football, which has 22 men who run around on a park. But there is so, so much more than that happening. I'll see if I can get this right. I remember one time the uh, the media came to Bill Shankly that was Liverpool's manager and, he, and they talked about life and he said football, he said it's life and death. This, the newspaper, the reporter said football's like life and death and Shankly said it's way more important than that. <laughs> How many people heard one voice there? One love, one spirit, oneness with one another. You know, what is incredible, which is really hard to even put into words, is when a red shirt gets put on you, especially, they said, the spirit of Scouse. I don't know if you heard that. They seem to be intuitively in touch with one another. The spirit of Scouse. Scouse is someone who is from Liverpool. That's all that means. You're intuitively one with a person with another red shirt on, even though you do not know them. I ain't got a clue who they are, but they're a brother in arms. Why? Because of that God, that shirt that they're wearing. Why? Because we worship the same God. Well, I think that's weird to be, aren't we? True oneness comes from the God that we worship. So, if we know Him, will we have oneness with one another? And there's just four things I want to unpack. What creates such a passion? What creates such a love in the hearts of these people that causes devotion, love, and a commitment to their deity? What is it? I suggest to us today, it is their knowledge of their God. It is the intimate knowledge that they have of the God that they worship, which is Liverpool Football Club. If you ask a Liverpoolian, ask him who was the manager in 1986, Kenny Dalglish. Ask them who was the highest transferred paid player they've had, Luis Suarez, just for 75 million pounds, just gone. Ask them how many European cups have they won, Mark? Five. Why? Because these people are so engrossed with the God they love. And it's passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation. You go try and get a ticket to watch the game. Good luck with that. Unless it's an away team. Season ticket holders pass their tickets down, down, down. Why? Because they know their God. They have a knowledge and a love and a passion and they lay their lives down. They spend thousands of pounds and give up their Saturdays and their Wednesdays and their Tuesdays because they travel abroad. There's just been a game in this city last night. West Ham, uh, again, Newcastle are here. And who saw Holmes during the week? And they did an interview of a whole lot of West Ham fans travelling over 12,000 miles to watch a bunch of dudes kick round a football. No, it's not. It's because that's where their God is going to be and wherever their God is, come follow me, we follow. And we are found where our God is. I'm challenged. But here's the thing. This isn't a beat me up session. This is how well do I know my God? And how well do I want to know Him? Because my Bible tells me the truth will set me free. So the question is, do we want, and maybe you do, maybe you don't, but I'm, do you want a, your life to look like that? Do you want to feel? Maybe you do. Awesome. I know I in a measure of it. To feel some of that stuff. Have you ever been excited that you would travel 12,000 miles and lay thousands of dollars down for God? To be in that community and feel what it feels like and express because you're so in love with Him because of a revealed position in you that you have come to know.
that it creates such an emotional joy in you. And yes, God wants us to worship Him in our emotions. He's given us emotions to worship Him with. Not be determined, dictated by our emotions, but to worship Him, to experience His love and to have that come out of you in every shape, way or form. And so, what are some of the comparisons that we can look at? I've just written here, there is an overwhelming love and passion in their hearts for their God. This was the comment at the start. We love our football team. We love our football team. We love our football club. We have a strong identity. Funny that, isn't it? We love our football team. We love our God. We love our club. We have a strong identity. Where does our identity come from? Our God. They have a strong identity because they have a strong God that they follow. Know Him, identity comes. Listen to John 17, 26. And I have made, this is Jesus, your name, God, known to these men and will make it known so that, everyone say so that, so that the love with which you loved me, agape, the love, the unconditional love which you love me, Jesus is talking to His Father, may be in them. This should rock our world. You mean the love that the Father has for the Son can be in me? And the reality of it, me experience it, too right. Absolutely. When it's revealed more and more and more. And I in them. God, are you... Really? Yes. I'm making your name known to the people who I am building. So that the love with which you love me, Lord, may be in them, coming out of them, flowing out. Not only transforming them, but birthing life and light to everyone who they come into contact with. Told you it's unlimited, didn't I? Unlimited. May not be my reality today. Do I want it to be? Do I want all He has for me? I do. I want everything He has for me. I want everything He has for us. And I want everything He has for His church. Why? Because the more of that happening, the more glory to Him. And it's about Him. Second thing, oneness and spirit with their God. The comment that was made, fidelity, loyalty. You don't change teams. And anyone who does can only be held in contempt Devotion, fidelity, and loyalty, that's what it's all about. John 17, 21, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, and they also may be in us. There's that thing again. In us, in us, in us, in them. To be one with Him. What's it about? A bridal process. To be made ready. To see, to hear, to think, to speak, and to act like Him. Oneness with one another. Here's the comment. The 28,000 people on the cot, which was that part of the ground. That's only one part of the ground, by the way. That's 28,000 people down the skinny end behind the goal. The whole stadium in those days would have held about 65,000 people. Okay, 28,000 people on the cop start singing together. They seem to know intuitively where to begin. Throughout the match, they invent new songs with new words with one huge immediate voice and they seem mysteriously to be in touch with one another with the spirit of Scouse. Someone from Liverpool. It comes out. There is a oneness that they have. And yet, 
28,000. How can you know 28,000 individuals and have an intimacy with 28,000 individuals? They don't. They all have an intimacy with their God, which births intimacy with individuals. See, we believe this lie and we say this. For me to truly get to know Simon and to be vulnerable and open and go on a journey, I need to know him so I can trust him. And the enemy goes, yeah, good, good. I'm glad you believe in that lie. Because he believes the same thing. And so it takes so long and time and the time. We have to get to know each other. We have to have meetings. We have to hang out all the time. And then there's bits and, well, what can I tell him? What can't I tell him? Because I don't know if I can fully trust him. And he might go tell Mark if I tell him this. God, this is all consuming. Three years go by and we finally, finally make the decision that we know each other enough now to be really intimate and tell him where I'm really at with God. It's a lie. If I'm intimate with him, my identity is with him, which means in a heartbeat I can be intimate with my brother and I don't even know him. Because I'm not, my identity, can you hear what I'm saying? My identity is in him. I'm not living by fear. I can be open, vulnerable in front of him because my trust is not in him. My trust is in him. And you know what that does? That releases life. That releases power. That releases him maybe to do the same or him to do it for me. Everyone's waiting for everyone else to be vulnerable and open, but nobody does. So nothing happens. Who's going to take the first step and be bold and go, here I am, open book. Anyone else? Awesome. Why? Because my identity and who I know, I'm not living in the fear of man, it's the fear of God. And that empowers me to be. I hope you can hear that. Because we believe this rubbish. And look, I'm not saying that you don't get hurt from being vulnerable with people. But the more we're in Him, you actually can't get hurt because you don't care. You don't care. Why? Because I don't need him for affirmation. I don't need him for his words of encouragement. I don't need him. Oh, am I okay? Do I look okay? Is that okay? Did it come out right? I need him. And he's in me. And that empowers me to be me and not be try to be anyone else. There's a oneness that we'd have a oneness. And the last thing is a commitment to follow their God no matter what the cost. These fans, all 3,000 of them, now I must mention they were West Brom fans, okay, so we use that clip, it's a different slightly team, but same thing happening. These fans, all 3,000 of them, are making the 300 all-round trip from the Midlands to the South Coast to watch a match that will have little or no impact on the fortune of their team. Now you just take the West Ham and the Newcastle fans that are in town right now. Okay? It's a friendly. It's pre-season training where they play the second dudes. Not the first team. Okay? It's not like they're travelling to see, you know, um, Suarez and Gerard and all the first teamers. It's the kids that get a run out. The 18, 17 year olds. Maybe a couple of the first teamers that play. So they travel all this way, spend thousands and thousands of pounds to get here to watch a 17-year-old kid play. Why? Because of their God. Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you've got the best worship leader or the one who's starting out or the best preacher or the best coffee. It doesn't matter whether you've got the best seats or the best facility or the best that and the best that. Why? Because you're not in for that. You come here to worship Him. You've got the best God on the planet. No, 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 we decide where we go because you know what? Oh, yeah, so-and-so's in town this week and he's got the books and he's got the DVDs and he's pretty cool. Oh, no, I got this and I got that. Oh, no, no, no. I'll go where the flow goes because what's cool, what's not cool, I'll get killed up. It's a lot of rubbish, man. Come on, it's time for the church to actually get its eyes on him, get its eyes off itself and all its lustful ways and start committing 
West Brom sit comfortably mid-table with no chance of qualifying for Europe and are safe from the fear of relegation, yet still they come, giving up their Saturdays and spending thousands of pounds over a season. Luke 14, 25 to 20 out. Now large crowds were going along with him. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. But which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. These are the words of Christ. I have not made them up. They are straight out of his word. You see, once again, a revelation of the Christ within you. Truth being revealed in you creates a mindset and a posture and a position where you actually don't hate your mother, father, children, but it creates such an alignment of focus that God realigns the order and puts Him first and everything else falling into place. So what? So then you're able to follow Him and complete that and be a disciple not be caught up having all these things and wondering why you can never quite manage to hence again baptism in the spirit power of the spirit so the question is there's a reality there is a river of love and a river of life that is available to his children And by faith we receive Him. At some point in our lives we have decided, if we have, to receive Him and receive the Spirit of God in us. That does not mean we are, hear what I'm saying, we are made whole in that moment. His, what He has done on that, cross, on that cross has redeemed us, reconciled us, but that doesn't mean we don't have work of the, the Spirit wants to do work in us. That doesn't mean you can just go, oh, guess what, I've got all this happening now that same power that resurrected him, it lives in me. It's all cool, but I never actually—it never comes out of me. It never—I never experience it. It's just something I say and I believe in, but it hasn't altered me a bit. So I've continued to just walk in this thing, and these things all uh, are my priorities. And yeah, did the Christian thing. See, work out your salvation means take the Spirit. Take his truth. I'm looking for true worshippers. They worship in spirit and truth and transformation is the goal. So there's a reality. So life is birthed from the church. So people who are in need of hope, Christ is the hope in the church, will see me. There is a river of love and life to be found in him and this reality can be in us if we're prepared to seek him with all we have. We can experience the fullness of God in us now. And His Spirit and truth is the key to this reality. Hence, if you've never picked this up for a while, please pick it up. But don't just open it and start reading it. Pick it up and say, Father, the reason it's sitting on the shelf is because I don't have a desire to read it. So help me. Because I heard this crazy guy at the rock speak this crazy message about a crazy reality. And I'm struggling to even believe if it's true. But I want to. And so, Father, I pray today. And I'm going to continue to pray. Continue to ask that you will illuminate yourself either through this, through others, or directly to me by your own Spirit.
And I'm going to ask, I'm going to seek, and I'm going to knock until I receive and come into more and more because that guy also said it's untapped and it's unlimited, the knowledge I can have because I see and I've seen the reaction and I want to feel and know and experience in my mind and in my heart and in my whole body and my being this reality. And by faith, I believe that if he sees that broken heart, that hungry heart, that contrite heart, something will happen. Because he promises it will happen. Can we believe for that? So Father, again, Lord, we, we just posture ourselves. I thank you that, yes, you haven't left us alone. Yes, you will never leave us. But you have so much for us. You didn't just die that we would get our ticket into heaven. You died for us to experience the resurrected power of the cross in us. And that you died that we would know you and experience your love and be prepared to a day that awaits all of us. And so, Father, again, I pray for faith to be released. I pray for boldness and courage. I pray for honesty and transparency and vulnerability. And I pray above all, Lord, that we would know without a shadow of a doubt that we can rest by faith in this process. Lord, don't I pray no one would leave here and try and figure this out in their own strength. That we would not leave here going, right, how do I now figure that out? Because we just talked that a cow knows instinctively because it's a cow. So I pray we would just sit and rest and just start asking questions of you. And in that you'll see a desire of our heart. And Lord, we submit to the process. We submit to you. And so help us to define what that role is, to posture ourselves, to submit and allow you to do a work. Maybe we need to reposition ourselves completely today, Father, and be open like we've never had before to hear something we've never heard. So Jesus, we ask these things in your powerful name, knowing, Lord, that you are able and capable and fully will perform on your word. In Jesus' name. Amen.